Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we approach your word this morning, I just pray that you would open up our minds to your truth. That we would focus on you, that through the indwelling of your spirit, that you would continue to mold us and change us and sanctify us. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I fully expected that we would be finished with uh, Romans chapter 14, and I got ready to prepare for my sermon, and the last two verses, I just can't leave. And so this will be, I promise, the last sermon on Romans 14. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to the 14th chapter. And the reason why I wanted to spend time, a little bit more time on this chapter, and the temptation on this chapter, if you don't spend a lot of time in it, is that you go, well, this really isn't relevant to me because we don't have idle meat, meat that was previously sacrificed at a pagan altar. We don't have that today, right? There's not the idle meat market. And for most of us, we don't encounter completed Jews that choose to worship on Saturday Sabbath. And so the tendency is is to, to run through chapter 14. However, what I would like to emphasize is, is that really as Paul's going through chapter 14, and he's dealing with church members interacting with one another. I made this statement earlier in the series that every single church has mature and immature believers. And in fact, every church should have immature and mature believers because our mission is to go out and share the gospel and and bring people in. So as you look at 14, and if you just look at it topically, and you go, well, this isn't really relevant to me, my argument is that it's very relevant because the church, ever since the beginning, has immature, immature believers. We should have. If we just have mature believers, there's a problem. And if you... Think back when you first accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ has called you out of darkness into the light. And at that particular point, the veil has been lifted. And you're looking back at your past life. And as you look back in your past life, you recognize the egregiousness of your sin in a way that you've never, ever seen it before. And when you recognize the egregiousness of your sin, the immature believer is running from their past as fast as they can. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. But they don't 
have the full understanding of the liberty that we have with Jesus Christ. And what Paul is telling the Roman church is that, yes, the Gentile believer that's running from their past of idolatry, that we should consider that, and we should be gracious in that, and that we shouldn't have stand on our rights and our liberty as we consume idol meat. And for the completed Jew who spent their whole life worshiping God on Saturday, we should be considerate of that. And it's the same thing today. As we come together as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, we should set aside our liberty out of love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you look at verse 20 of Romans 14, this is what Paul is saying, and we covered that last week, but it says, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. And just as I gave the illustration last week, how inconsiderate would it be for a believer to participate with alcohol in front of a former alcoholic? We should be gracious. We should consider one another. And this leads us to our focal passage this morning, 22 and 23. And Paul wrote, do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. And it's that question that Paul posed here at the end of 14, that got me to thinking. Do you have faith? And the reason why Paul is posing this question is he's dealing with Christians as they come from different backgrounds, different upbringings. But yet they're all trying to pursue God. And he's telling them, are you living your life in faith? And if you remember, I've said it a million times, faith isn't the intellectual acknowledgement of a historical Jesus. There's plenty of historians who do not know Christ, who will agree that Jesus Christ existed. That doesn't make them a Christian. And here he's looking at the strong believer in the church of Rome, and he's saying, do you have faith? In other words, he's not saying, do you believe in God? He's saying, are you living your life according to your faith as you interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ? In 1520, Martin Luther, in writing a letter to the Pope, published a treatise 
on Christian liberty. And I thought it was so appropriate to read just a small excerpt from what Martin Luther wrote because it's so poignant for today. This is what he wrote. That I may open then an easier way for the ignorant. For these alone I'm trying to serve. I lay down these two propositions concerning spiritual liberty. That's what we're talking about today, spiritual liberty. Concerning spiritual liberty and servitude. The first proposition, Luther says this. A Christian man is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. That's true, isn't it? We're free in Christ Jesus. We're absolutely free. Not only are we free, but through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, He's given us the mind of Christ. We're free. We're not bound by the chains of sin. But then the second proposition is this, and in fact, it's the exact opposite of what Luther just said. The first one was, a Christian man is the most free Lord of all. The second proposition, a Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. In the first proposition, I'm subject to no one. In the second proposition, I'm subject to everyone. He then goes on and says, although these statements appear contradictory, yet when they are found to agree together, they will make excellently for my purpose. They are both the statements of Paul himself, who says, Though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself servant of all, in 1 Corinthians 9.19. And then in Romans 13.8, Luther quotes Paul, and he says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. Luther goes on and writes, Now, love is by its own nature dutiful and obedient to the beloved object. Thus even Christ, though Lord of all things was yet made of a woman, made under the law, at once free and a servant, at once in the form of God and in the form of a servant. So the Christian man is free from everyone, but they're also a servant. And I would argue that this creates a tension that should always be inside Christianity is that, yes, I'm free in the Lord Jesus Christ, but because of a love for my fellow brothers and sisters, I'm a servant. In that quote that I just read of Luther's, he quoted 1 Corinthians 9.19. I want to expand that a little bit. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 9, starting in the 19th verse. And he has the statement that I've already read. This is Paul writing, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant all, that I might win the more. In other words, Paul is saying, I will set aside my rights. I will set aside my liberty. I will live as a servant So more people can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in the 20th verse and he starts giving us examples. And he writes, And to the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who were under the law. To those who are without the law. As without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under the law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, 
that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. So as you look at the writings of Paul here in 1 Corinthians 9, he is saying what Luther wrote in his two statements. Yes, I am free, but I will make myself a servant, both in evangelism, as Paul is dealing with that here in 1 Corinthians 9, and in Romans 14, as we deal with one another, as we interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ. He's telling the strong believer to set aside their liberty in regards to our brother and sisters in the love that we have for them. And he's doing it with this question that he posed, do you have faith? And I think it's so very important for us to look at our life and ask ourselves, am I living a life of faith? Not am I acknowledging the historical Jesus. The Bible says that even the demons believe and tremble. But that question posed, do I have faith in the way that Paul is asking it, is telling us that our life should reflect a life of sacrifice out of love for our brothers and sisters. The recognition, and you remember here several Sundays ago, I made the point, immaturity is not permanent. It is not permanent. Unfortunately, it can be as Paul addressed with that in one of his epistles and said, you're still living as a babe. But it shouldn't be. And in the context of the church where we encourage growth, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, immaturity is the beginning. And I'm sure you can look back at your own life and when you first accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, And you can see through the empowering and the indwelling of the Spirit that God has changed you. And He's moved you along in the grace and knowledge. And part of our job as we've been moved along in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is to look at our immature brother and sister and be graceful knowing that the power of God will change them. The power of God will change them. And as Paul posed this question, do you have faith? And you look at that in the context where he's saying, set aside your rights. It made me think of that great group of verses in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, when James wrote, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed from the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. God has called us. Not into an intellectual acknowledgement. He has called us into a life of living faith. 
And that living faith is exercised in how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. It should be the mission of the church as we come together and as we worship together for all of us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. We're here to exercise a living faith. Verse I quoted last week, Hebrews 10, verse 24, when it says, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another in so much more as you see the day approaching. That means exhorting, engaging each other individually. I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. But when I went to Baylor, first year, I was somewhat active in church. The second year on a Sunday, at least back in that day, and I know I'm old, But back in that day, the first Sunday of all churches in Waco, they were just packed. Because at Baylor, the first Sunday of the semester, everybody goes to church. So I did. I went to my church. Next Sunday, I didn't. I'd gone to Sunday school, and I'd gone to worship that first Sunday. And the Sunday school teacher of the class that I was supposed to attend, he got my name, he got my number. Second Sunday, I'm not there. That night, the phone rings. Monty, this is Roy Roberts, your Sunday school teacher. Yes, sir. Were you sick today? No. Did you go home and see your parents? No. He said, well, let me tell you, I have made the commitment to teach this class. And I need for you to make the commitment to attend this class. Are you going to be here next Sunday? Yes, sir. I hung up the phone. My buddy, who I happened to be goofing off with that Sunday morning, who also attended the previous Sunday, called me. Did Roy Roberts just call you? Yeah. Can you believe that? No. And Mr. Roberts went home to the Lord this last year. But I can say that that man changed my life. And the fact that he thought enough of me to engage me. And I was active that year. I was active in church the way that I never was active in church in the previous year at Baylor. Mom and dad weren't there, right? It was up to me whether I was going to get up and attend. The following year, I would surrender to preach. Now, Mr. Roberts wasn't a pastor. He was an engineer there in Waco. See, this isn't a pastor's job. This is all of us together, loving one another, encouraging one another, exhorting one another in a manner of faith. And unfortunately, what has happened to the modern church? The modern church has gotten off the mission. The modern church isn't centered on Christ. The modern church isn't centered 
among the institution of the church, it's become all individualized. I used to be guilty of this. Five steps to this. Four steps to that. Five steps to happy marriage. Seven, seven steps to finances. And what ends up happening is, and when you think about the modern church growth movement, as Rick Warren said, you should go out and you should visit your neighbors and ask them what they want in the church. You create a bunch of individuals sitting in church. You're here as an individual. And the modern church growth movement has created sales of individuals. You're here on the Sunday. You leave. Your duty is done. And you don't think about your brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the week. But we are tasked with that. We are told that we should bear one another's burdens. And this lack of interaction isn't the teaching of Paul. It isn't the teaching of James. We're to have an active faith, which means what I believe up here in my head and in my heart translates to how I interact with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And one of the things that I think is a legitimate argument with the lost is they look at the church and they say, I don't see any difference between the church and who I interact with outside of the church. And that definitely should not be the case, should it? As people come into the church, they should find a loving group of people who care and are concerned with one another. And that means that we all have to know people, know them. We need names, we need life events, we need to know what's going on in people's lives so that we can effectively do what Paul is telling us to do. If you don't know anyone, if you don't engage, this can never happen. For he's telling us to have an active faith. You've got to invest yourselves in other people. You have to be invested in other people. You have to take the time to do things. I remember when Kathy and I first got married, we lived in an extremely small mobile home. In our Sunday school class, decided that we were going to have one of these rolling suppers or whatever, supper club, and you meet at each one's house on different times. And I looked at the size of our class, and I thought, there is no way that our class can fit in this little bitty trailer house. And I called up our Sunday school director, and I said, we're just going to have to pass. Well, 
attend. And he goes, why? And I said, we can't fit everybody. I said, there's just no way. He said, that's just crazy. We'll make it happen. We'll be there. It'll be just fine. And I remember as we had lots of people in our home, and it was extremely tight. And everybody was so gracious and kind in our extremely little trailer house. We got to know people in a better way. And there was an engagement there. And that engagement continued on past that time. It required Kathy and I kind of putting ourselves at risk. And it required our Sunday school to be a little understanding and maybe shrink their personal space a little bit. That's what the church is missing today in the modern church world, a lack of engagement. And when you have a lack of engagement, you can't fulfill Romans 14. How can you engage an immature believer unless you know them? The other thing is, is that you have to know them in a way where you can have an open and honest conversation with them. Now, society has done a number on the church and other groups and the fact that we live in this politically correct world. You can't say anything controversial. You can't be honest. We all just live at the surface. And the church has to do a really good job and do some extra work for us to have an open and honest conversation. I have to know you. I have to know you. You have to know me to where you can put a relationship at risk. Now, I will say this. Mr. Roberts had met me for one Sunday. But praise God, he did what he did, and it worked. You know what I knew after I got off that phone? Now, here's a guy that's serious about his class. I had been in a lot of Sunday school classes in my life where people just kind of went through the motions. You were there to get your check, and there really wasn't much expected of you. When I got off the phone, I thought, man, this guy means what he says. And guess what? I respected him for that. Here's a guy that's willing to tell me the truth. The other thing that that pointed out is that he was more concerned about my relationship with Christ than my relationship with him. And that needs to be what we stand on is what are we concerned about? We look just like any other social organization in the world if we come together and we never exhort one another, we never encourage one another. It just becomes this nicety thing of, oh, how are you? How was your week? And there's nothing that's talked about that's serious. And then you go on your way. If there's nothing that separates us from Lions Club, Rotary, Kiwanis, the Garden Club, any other social organization, 
if that's what we are doing. But when we can pick up the phone and say, you've missed two Sundays, you've missed three Sundays, I'm concerned about you. Is there something that you can share with me? Now that's real, right? That's real. I heard that you were upset about something. Can we talk about it? Can we search the scriptures? You may say, well, that's just my job. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's all our jobs. It's all our jobs. And if you do that, you have a deepened relationship, not only with Christ, because you're living according to his purpose, but you have a deepened relationship with your fellow brother and sister. Isn't that what you want? I look back at the church that I first started going to, my first church memory. I'm originally from Odessa. I lived in any oil-filled town in Texas. I remember my grandparents went to this church. My parents went to this church. And my grandparents had deep relationships with the people in their church. That was their primary area of engagement, was the church. Not only did it fulfill their social needs and function, but they had spent decades with the same couples. And when you looked at that relationship, I knew that when my grandmother picked up the phone and called certain people within the church, you could hear in her voice the love that she had for these people. Weren't family, blood, not our blood, but the blood of Christ. And when we have that, when we are willing to say, I am going to give up my time, because it comes at a cost, doesn't it? It comes at a cost. It means that you're going to have to spend time, that you're going to have to risk yourself to engage and be involved. It also means that you are going to have to be here on a regular basis. I remember years ago, I had a person and they had not been to the church in months, so much so that we just thought that they'd gone somewhere else. They came down with an illness. They called and they were upset. No one called me from the church. And they just kept on pressing. And I said, I hear what you're saying. But I said, I want to give you something to think about as well. As she was attacking some members in the church. I said, I haven't seen you in months. I can't read your mind. But if you were active, we would know. You miss that. You miss the opportunity. Not only are you robbing yourself of experiencing the joy of being loved by brothers and sisters, but also you're robbing the opportunity of your brothers and sisters to serve. That's faith. Faith is when the life of Christ is exhibited in our life to where our fellow brothers and sisters see it and glory is given to God alone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that we've been bathed in the blood of Christ. 
We thank you that we've been given a new mind and a new heart. And I just pray, Lord, that we might take our calling seriously and that we might have Christ be magnified and glorified in our life as we love our brothers and sisters, as our faith is declared not through intellectual acknowledgement. But Lord, I pray that we declare our faith by living and interacting with people and in our own small way might show the world that we stand and believe in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.